Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors just like you about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm David Partain, and I'm joined with my co-host, Laura Gregg. Hello, Laura. Hello, David. We have a great show ahead of us today. I am excited as well. And on the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite great guests that will provide unique insights and actual ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses while deepening client relationships. Today's podcast is one in a series that will be aligned with our new insights around diversity, equity, and inclusion. As our regular listeners know, FlexShares has been conducting research around how advisors are building teams and whether diversity is actually a factor. We also surveyed high net worth investors to understand their preferences when choosing an advisor or an advisory firm. So our latest 2021 research was released in June, and while it revealed forward momentum on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the advisory space, there are some leaders not yet ready to adopt a formal program. Hence, we invited today's guest, who is Kemi Joseph, who is CEO and DEI strategist at FEARS Advantage. That's F-E-A-R-S, Advantage. Kimmy works with firm owners and leaders within the financial services space to help them better understand how to create a diversity, equity, and inclusion program that will yield actual results, both business and social, that we all would like to see. I was really impressed when I met Kemi. We presented together at the Investments and Wealth Institute last year. His passion, which I think you're going to learn pretty quickly, is very infectious. And what stood out to me as I worked with Kemi is his approach to this critically important topic. It's a judgment-free zone with Kemi. And I think for many of us in this industry, and so many of us are white, that's a great thing. As the topic of race, we all know can be difficult and intimidating to talk about openly. So I think you'll find this conversation as refreshing as it is enlightening. And Kemi, we are thrilled to have you here on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for that introduction. And I definitely want to bring the enthusiasm and the approachability as you discussed. So thank you so much for having me. Well, Kimmy, as Laura said, and I also agree, it is wonderful to have you with us today. I'm looking forward to sharing some of our data with you and hearing your reaction to it. The data we'll be sharing today we think is a good representation both on the advisor and investor side of our industry. But before we dig into the data, I think it would be helpful to learn a little bit more about you, about FEAR's advantage, and the clients you're serving in the advisory space. Again, my name is Kimmy Joseph, and beyond being the CEO and DEI strategist of Fears Advantage, I've also come from both the a background in education and in leadership. And, and I, I like to say that at the beginning because I'm really thinking through how we educate people in this process and lead them along a journey that, as you both mentioned, are, is often very overwhelming, toxic, frustrating, disappointing. So we want to be able to bring those two types of philosophies together as we move people forward. And with us as Fears Advantage, our goal is to help 
5 million leaders advance equity in their organizations by 2030 to truly create more environments where people can work safely and thrive as part of our bigger global mission to create a world where more people live safely and thrive. So I know we have a lot of work ahead of us, but I'd just like to let people know the, the vision that we're casting, especially in doing that, we want to make this work as approachable, actionable, affordable, and enjoyable as possible. And if you haven't had an enjoyable process with DEI, I'll tell you that it actually can be enjoyable if you do it in a way that brings more people together. And that's what we seek to offer our different clients. And as you mentioned, we work with folks in the advisory space, as well as working with people outside of financial services. So we're working with teams as small as a few people to teams. I think our largest client is up in the 200 range in terms of size of team. And so we're catching folks um, from all the different environments. The, the, the commonalities are in high pressure type of industries as well as high performing teams in a way that they have crazy seasons where people are just trying to keep their heads down and get it done, as well as they have kind of slower seasons where they do a lot of strategizing and preparing for what's next, which I think it covers a lot of different folks. But some people will say, oh, does my team, will this work for my team? It's like, absolutely. And part of the biggest thing we start with is what does DEI or what can DEI, what do you want DEI to look like in your organization to make sure it does work for your team? So that I think I'll stop there for introducing us and we can talk about how we are continuing to help people. But thank you all for the opportunity to be of service today. Oh, it's, it's definitely our pleasure. So I, I want to ask, what does FEARS Advantage stand for? I see it as an acronym here. Yes. What, is, what does it stand for? <laughs> well, we also see that there's been such an increase of fear in our world. So we love this idea of flipping the script on things like fear, just like we flip the script on things like prejudice and or, or, or privilege and bias. So FEAR stands for Fuel, Extraordinary Actions, Relationships, and Systems. So it also kind of outlines our framework for how we work with organizations. So again, it is Fuel, Extraordinary Actions, Relationships, and Systems. And this is, it also kind of shows you our framework for when we do executive coaching. We take people through each of those steps to make sure that their, their leadership falls in alignment with using their fears to move them towards their goals and towards more connection versus away from their goals and away from, from challenge. Wow, that's, that's really cool, Kimmy. I'd love to talk about your focus on helping leaders. And about 80% of our survey respondents were at senior levels of their organization and had the ability to hire staff or even impact hiring decisions. And so I'd love to get your reaction and what you think. And 56% of them said that their firm was taking action toward building a culture of diversity. And two thirds said that their DEI programs were being driven by leaders within their firms. About 9% of the respondents say that their firm initiated a program within the last year, while 30% said they took steps to enhance diversity since the global protests that began last May. So Kimmy, I'm wondering if you have seen an uptick in firms building DEI programs since the global protests for racial and social equity began last May, or is it leaders engaging directly with you, or is it more a function of HR? Yeah, big questions. First of all, thank you for sharing that research. I think we, we take a data-driven approach, so I just appreciate hearing the numbers that you just shared there. As we well are amongst as, all the nerds there. Yeah. Well, I've never <laughs> been a, a data person, or I guess I, I never understood how data could be fun until recently, especially seeing <laughs> the overlaps and more importantly, seeing how data can drive change. I know sometimes we can have gut feelings, but then when things are backed up by data, it, it allows us to move forward more more. 
uh, progressively like we always think about assess before you make a mess and so i appreciate in this way that you you, you have started (laughs) to assess and see where people are at and so to answer your question yes we've seen an uptick um since, since the global protests i think the murder of George Floyd being such a public experience that we all had shed light on so many inequities in our world. And there and there's been a call to action across multiple sectors. And so I've seen I've seen at least our clients where they're reaching out to us because they want more help in that process. So we've seen an uptick in people uh, wanting to take this more seriously, as well as a demand from employees, as well as customers for more companies and more firms to take this more seriously and then in terms of the question of leadership and HR being able to be a part of this process, I would say that HR has generally been reaching out to us for more training or what they might be doing to implement processes in an organization. And leaders have been reaching out to us in the sense of directing initiatives or even getting uh, executive DEI coaching for them to be able to lead initiatives. because. Oftentimes, the leaders are not the implementers, and I think that's where some people might get this confused and and, and not realize how the HR and leadership has to work together. If you don't have an HR, some people have directors of culture or vice presidents of people, whatever the titles are, there has to be a combination of, of leading and, and green lighting as well as a combination of implementing so the people kind of on the ground, so to speak, or from the bottom up can have the pathway and support to make changes in the organization uh, and the leaders are fully informed as well as co-signing that type of change. And, and I, the groups that have, have have both of those are the ones that we see get the most success. And so, yes, we're seeing that. And yes, that it's both leaders and HR engaging us just for different pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. So is it assess before you make a mess? Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. And assess okay, before great. you make a mess or, <laughs> or assess instead of make a mess, right? We want people, we're trying to help people avoid messes. And I think one of the messes that we're realizing is so many people have different understandings of what DEI even mm. is. And so I also encourage people who are listening here, assess what people believe DEI is in your organization as you're thinking about moving forward to, to make sure that whatever you're building fills gaps that your organization truly needs. Oh, that's great. Well, here's some more data for you. Mm-hmm. And so while we're heartened that we've seen more firms interested in creating a more diverse and inclusive firm, 51.5% said they saw it as a strategic priority for their firms versus in 2019, when just 45% viewed it as a priority. So we feel like this shows that nearly half still don't see it as a priority. What are some of the hurdles in getting firms, especially leadership within firms, to embrace building a DEI program? And how do you help firms jump over these hurdles? Yeah, I appreciate that question, too. And that priority question is always one. So even at the beginning, I'll share. It's important that companies identify their priorities and and share that, because I think some people will say that DEI is a priority, but it really isn't. And they're acting and, and they start to create a tension where they, it's not as much of a priority as they say it is. So hopefully those who identify that it is are, are actively making steps towards a more equitable organization because they've identified it as a priority. And I appreciate those who have been honest as well in saying that maybe it's a lower of a priority. I would love to know f- what they see as the other priorities because I know that that is a very valid tension that people are facing in this world that... They, they're having, especially, for example, during COVID and quarantine times, how to even sustain their business or how to keep the doors open has generally taken a priority over DEI. 
And what's interesting for us as we see those hurdles of priorities, of time, of even know-how, and of overwhelm, we see those are, are some of the classic hurdles. We we start to let we remind people that even though everyone's seeking to go fast right now and really fast towards profit, we'll tell them that clarity is the safest and most inclusive way for them to succeed faster. And DEI is the way to get the clarity across uh, your across your team, especially as we have diverse teams. And what I mean by that is when people are trying to jump these hurdles, we, we, we're helping them see how DEI is not just for minorities. Diversity, equity, inclusion, these initiatives really come down to even how they set equitable goals in the organization, how they make sure people have the supplies and the resources they need to do their jobs at the highest potential to be have inclusive uh, employee engagement that makes sure people feel a sense of belonging. And that also allows leadership to feel like they can do their jobs at the highest level as well. You'd be surprised how many leaders don't feel safe in their companies either. So we're saying DEI is not just for your most marginalized people. It is also for your leaders to make sure they feel safe leading and they get the resources and tools. So when we start to explain it that way, people start to see it integrated with them reaching their top goals as opposed to it being some some other portion of the puzzle. And then that's how we start to get more buy-in as well as people start to see more immediate uh, return on their investment, especially when they're in a small firm where some people are just one or two people operating. It's like DEI also comes down to if you're in a, if you're the leader of one person, how are you treating that person? And sometimes leaders don't feel secure or safe in their organizations either. It's often the teams that are smaller that the leaders also feel like there's a target on their back and that they are trying to do these DEI initiatives and people are not necessarily giving them the empathy. And I will tell anybody who's a leader right now that being a leader is the hardest job that we can do. So thank you for stepping up. And even if you are in a small team or in a, you might be a part of a bigger firm, but you, you're operating as a smaller team, it's especially important to think about the impact that you have on your team, especially if it may even be a team of two, and how DEI is about how we're communicating to our folks, how we're setting the goals that allow each person to feel like they can contribute their best and they're, they're being honored for who they are. So again, I think it's when we start to make these big ideas more approachable, then we start to jump these hurdles more quickly and also more seamlessly in, in the pursuit of our goals. Kimmy, you have mentioned several times about safety and, and safety with leaders and across the whole organization. Talk briefly about what, how you define safety and what, what that means within the organization. Yeah, thank you for that question. And this is also what we do as we measure our, in our assessments, as I mentioned to you. We, we will break down safety into four quadrants. So it has physical safety, emotional safety, intellectual safety, and psychological safety. And when we're talking about physical safety, you're talking about being out of danger of, of physical harm or, or of harm in, in the actual work, physical work environment. And then for emotional safety, able to openly and or vulnerably share my emotions in a professional manner if I choose to do so is how it shows up in our assessment. And then the intellectual safety is able to appropriately share my ideas, opinions, and solutions without fear or fear of harsh judgment or discrimination. And with the psychological safety, able to show and be myself in a professional mm -hmm. manner without fear of bias or discrimination about my identity, culture, belief, or life choices. And we 
define them in these ways to one, really focus on how it shows up in the workplace, right? So it said a couple of times in a professional manner. So assuming somebody is showing up professionally, but they're, they're sharing their emotions, they're sharing about themselves, we want them to feel safe and the ability to do so in their organizations. And what's interesting is a lot of folks measure physical safety. Are we, are we out of harm's way? And a lot of people will generally say they are out of harm's way, especially when people are working at home. It's the emotional, psychological, and intellectual safety that oftentimes we'll see in companies where inclusion is low. People don't feel like they can even share about what's going on with them, which prevents them from also asking for help or dealing with the difficult world issues in a way that helps them move forward and be productive at work. When there's a lack of intellectual safety, people do not bring up ideas. You'll be surprised how many people do workarounds to not talk to certain people in their organization or not bring up ideas in meetings because they know they're going to be shot down or that we've had leaders who straight up ignore people's suggestions or shoot down ideas in a way that people don't feel like they can even be psychologically safe and bringing up their who, who they are in their in their lives outside of work. So they're, they're only bringing maybe 10% of themselves when they could truly be bringing 100% of themselves in a way that is, again, professional, in a way that supports the team, but in a way that allows their unique abilities to shine. So when we were in this conversation of truly building a diverse team, I always tell people, have or can you check off this box and say that your people will feel safe physically, emotionally, intellectually, and, psych- and psychologically? If you cannot, start there and please make sure your team feels safe before you start adding more people into your culture who can exacerbate those gaps and exacerbate the issues your current team is feeling. Kemi, when we spoke a while back, you talked about many firms that may think they have a DE&I, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee in place. And you said, unfortunately, sometimes that committee is really more of a club and I'm hoping you can talk a little bit to that. What do, what did you mean by that? And and what things must a firm be doing to ensure that their program is something that will have the impact that they want it to have? Yeah, thanks for that question. I mean, one of the top things we saw across the board last year is that people started DEI committees. And the more we started to investigate, we would ask them, is your committee a a committee or is it a club? And the club for us is more a group where you're coming together. Maybe you're doing some readings about uh, race or about different diversity issues. And then that's about all that they can do is essentially read or maybe bring in speakers. And that's more of a book club or an education club, which is great in some regards. This is not, this is not a committee. For us, a committee is a group that's coming together and they generally have decision-making power or they have decision-makers on that committee. They also have a, a directive or they have bylaws, for example, that lets the, that lets the whole organization know that the DEI committee has the ability to do, run assessments, for example, or bring in other uh, trainers and speakers. Essentially, it becomes a support to HR, and sometimes it is a bridge between HR and the C-suite to let or, or the leaders to, to really inform an actual DEI initiative in the organization. And so some of the, just to recap that, the difference between a DEI committee and a DEI club is really the power that they have to make an impact, the initiatives that they're able to run and to to move forward in the organization, as well as one thing that I will tell everybody is to please, back to this equitable goals conversation, is that people on your DEI committee, they that their time and their investment in that committee is being measured 
on their performance review? Is it being allocated in their in their time that they are spending for the organization? And it's not a volunteer or something that's just happening after work hours. Those those three things together a big indicator that your company is taking DEI seriously and that the committee is going to be sustainable enough to make the impact. And if a team is too small to have a a DEI committee, what an organization can do to make sure that the DEI program is something impactful is really figure out what is their vision of DEI in the organization? Where do they see themselves going? And to, to start to map out a strategic plan for making it happen. And some people are just thinking about DEI from visual diversity. Like that's the call we've gotten a lot. Hey, we want to diversify our company. We'll say, okay, great. What does diversity mean to you? And they're usually defining like visual diversity, what we see on the website, our recruiting pipeline. I say, okay, great. That is an admirable goal. Let's start talking about before you go in that direction, how well are you honoring the diversity that's already in your organization? How well are you making sure those people feel safe and that they feel included, they feel trusted, they feel like they can trust leadership? And then people start scratching their head like, wait, are we actually honoring the diversity that's inside of our organization right now? And most folks, I would say the answer is no, as we're seeing that our statistics will show that about 50% of employees, including leaders, do not feel safe in their organizations. And this is in firms of all sizes and companies of all sizes, we're seeing the same thing over and over again. I will tell folks that if they want a successful initiative, again, assess before they make a mess to really focus mm-hmm. in on who's in their organization currently. And do those people feel included? Do they feel, do they feel like they have equity and decisions that are being made? that directly impact them? And do they feel like their their diversity is being honored? That is a starting point for every single organization that they can use uh, right after listening to this podcast. I, I love that, Kemi, because it, metrics are so important. If you don't know what impact you're having or where you're starting from, it's going to be hard to be successful. In our survey, again this year, we learned that clients prefer to work with advisors that they feel are like them, whether that's through shared culture, similar gender, or by some other means. Yet we talked earlier on that list of strategic priorities where where they were mostly trying to integrate technology throughout the firm, making sure people understood that they could offer a lot more than just investment management, more business-focused things. Building diverse teams came in number nine of the nine initiatives. In 2019, it was number eight of the nine initiatives. But I'm curious what you hear from leaders that you're working with about their desire to build diverse teams. And and particularly, I'd love to talk about the roadblocks that they see standing in their way to getting to, you know, a truly diverse, equitable and inclusive environment. Yeah, I appreciate that question, especially as we start to know that people like to work with people they like, know, and trust. I mean, that is a very fair thing. And and we're also in that same line talking about how employees do their best work for leaders they like, know, and trust. And I think in some ways we are, one, we're seeing that there is that priority and there's also the roadblock of how do we find those folks, right? Because if you want to start to, to build a diverse team, People who are wanting to go very fast end up doing the same habits they were doing before. So we hire our friends, we reach out to the same communities, we do this over and over again. And so it's it's letting them know one of the roadblocks is about speed and letting folks know that if we were wanting to plan ahead, we might be in one of our busiest seasons. So it's okay to start planning ahead and saying, okay, as we slow down, we do our next 
wave of hiring, we're going to put certain things in place. For example, we're going to start to build more uh, trusting relationships in diverse communities. So it is just as easy to hire those folks as it is to hire the people we have been hiring. That we're also going to put some more things in place for training or that we're looking at how our communication, how we're currently communicating to make sure people feel like that communication is getting more and more inclusive or another term is culturally competent, that we're being more aware of other cultures as we're communicating. So I think what we're, what we're seeing is the roadblocks is about time, time, time. And we're saying that it takes time to, to really diversify your team. And one way to bridge that gap is to really focus on how we're currently communicating to our team. How are we uh, expanding what we are, are sharing with our team as well as expanding how we're integrating into other communities, knowing that as we go about doing this is also going to help us reach our other business goals. Because as you said, one example is letting people know that there's more that they, the, letting the advisors know there's more they can offer to clients. I think it's the same thing that's true, letting our teams know there's more that diversity can offer us as we go about building this. And it takes time for us to integrate that. And, and so as they're going about doing these pieces, I think when they break it into smaller chunks, they can actually see that it's possible to build diverse teams while they are building up their practices as well as building up their, their profits and building out their technology. We often talk about the changing demographics in this country and the changing patterns of wealth ownership. More women are, are gaining more and more wealth and, and the country is just becoming more diverse and in a generation will no longer be white majority. So we, we understand these changes are in place. And one of the things that I try to talk about is by having a diverse team in place, you are probably, while it's the right thing to do, <laughs> it's also probably the right thing for your long-term success as a business. Because again, if we go back to that, clients want to work with advisors that they feel they can assimilate with by having lots of different types of people on your team. It, it just seems like the reach is broader. Yeah, I think the reach is broader and there's a challenge too, where some of the data points to future possibilities and then future outcomes. And folks are like, what about right now? <laughs> I need, I need the, the, the difference right now. And I think in that, in that regard, as we is looking at empowering the folks that we, we have now and really interesting, how do we highlight more the diversity that's on our team? It, it is wild for us, again, as we do assessments and we work with teams, the parts of people's lives that they don't feel comfortable sharing at work, that could be a great leveraging point. For example, people who are may not be visually diverse in the sense of like different skin colors, they might have other uh, gender identities that they that when they if they share their stories, they could really uh, help the client base feel more seen, as well as things like sexual orientation. And not there's a lot of people who don't want to share that because they don't feel trusting in, or they don't feel the trust in the organization or religious backgrounds, things that we wouldn't be able to see on a profile or see on someone's Zoom camera when they're there. Is are we are we creating an environment where even more of our team members feel more comfortable sharing their full identities in a way that clients will be able to say, oh, I didn't even realize you had this person on your team. I would love to work with them because I'm in a, I, I identify in a similar way. So I think that there's there's the, the journey of bringing more diversity and highlighting more the diversity that's already in their firm. That's great. And one of the points that it was a data point in 2019 and then in our newest research, which I 
love is that the majority of firms that have a diversity, equity, and inclusion program in place say that the firm or their team culture has improved as a direct result of that program. And just 2% this year said that the culture has gotten worse. And if we buy into all of the research that's been done far and wide about a strong culture building, the, the, nest, the need for that to build a strong business, I'm just thrilled by that. Yeah, same here. And at the, I'm grateful that they're seeing that at least only 2% said it made it worse. And I imagine that the 2% who are implementing that might have been building DEI by force versus by welcoming people in. At least that's one of my assumptions, because there, there is a way to do DEI wrong and yeah. make it way worse. So there is totally the way to do that. And so I'm grateful that they're seeing that their culture improve. And I mean, culture improvements are also linked towards greater employee retention and when we're when, even though some groups might say building a diverse team, they can see the benefits, but they don't necessarily see the financial income. When we're looking at the data around people who leave their organizations, there's often this sense of culture or the the the, the misculture that's in their organization, but also the 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 lack of uh, diversity at the top of their organization, like not seeing a career path, being two of the top reasons that people leave an organization. So. If people may not see the business case right away for diversifying their team, they might hopefully see the business case for building a culture to make sure they retain their top people and and continue to retain top talent in their organization. Kemi, what you just said aligns really perfectly with our research. What we found from those firms or teams that had a DE&I strategy in place, they were better able to recruit and hire uh, diverse hires, whether that was by gender, by age, by LGBTQ, or by race. And then importantly, the the retention thing is so critically important. And so we asked about five-year retention rates. And again, the firms or the teams with DE&I in place far exceeded the retention rates of those that did not have that in place. And so at the end of the day, it's as much of a business imperative as it is really as a social imperative. Yeah, and there's a, I'll add one piece to that, too, that the Work Institute in their 2019 report was saying that it costs an average of $15,000 to replace an employee whose salary is about $40,000. And that is, to me, that's wild to think about. Every employee you lose because of the poor culture or they don't see, they don't feel like they belong or included in your organization, they don't feel safe, at minimum can cost you $15,000. And it's it's almost... For any um, high-level executive, they say it can cost about 120% of their salary to replace them. So I just think about if, if folks can, cannot see the positive business case of the long term, it's the short term, too. If you're losing people and you're not, people are not sticking around because of your culture, you can save your organization lots of money by really focusing in on a DEI program that lets people feel safe and included right now in your organization. Wow, that is really interesting. Those numbers are something we need to pay attention to. It's, Kemi, I think we could go on and on. It's been just so wonderful talking with you today and learning from you. And as we close out this discussion, I'm hoping that you can leave us with some actionable ideas for our listeners. And and two that I have in mind, if you don't mind going there, is one that would be focused on what a staff member and an advisory firm can do to push for more action around diversity, equity, and inclusion? And then secondly, what can leaders at firms do to ensure that their full staff understands the importance of DE&I 
and why the firm has taken it on and and why they should be stakeholders? Yeah, these are big questions. We have whole trainings on this. And we, <laughs> so we, and we have them. There are free trainings, too. But I'll, I'll dive into a couple of them. And, and the, um, the first one you mentioned is a staff member. One of the things we focus on is that everyone in the organization can be a leader as long as they have influence. So we'll, we'll talk about those who officially have the like leadership titles as the second part of this question. But it's important that anybody who's in an organization, they oftentimes can feel powerless when upper management is not paying attention to the request for DEI. And so I often ask them, what are they doing to make sure they're being an equitable leader for the people they have influence on? And that can include customers, clients, it can include their small teams that they might be leading or subgroups that they're helping. But when they focus there and start to think about what am I doing to increase equity in our organization or help people, right? like help my coworkers feel more included, help my coworkers feel more seen, then that gives them more agency to say, oh, wow, I, I can actually make a difference. Because I think when we wait for other people to give us a green light for making a difference, it can be very disheartening, but really focusing on how can I make a positive difference for those people right here next to me, even in the virtual Zoom world, the people who I have, who I see every day, who I influence, who I email every day, make a difference for those folks. So that way you can, so you can get the satisfaction of making a difference you're looking to see. And then in terms of helping to push for or ask for more action around DEI in your organization, I think it's also important to help clarify, again, what can DEI look like in your organization? Uh, a lot of leaders are kind of scrambling to do what they believe they're supposed to do versus sitting down as a team and talking about what they can do. So the more you can help simplify it, and I know it's, it's a hard request on those who are not in charge to help simplify for those who are in charge. But I'll tell you what we've been seeing over and over again is that the more simplified we can make this and the more tangible we can help leaders digest this information, the more likely they are to take action. So that's what I'll offer for those who are doing the kind of bottom up is focus on where you have impact and, and start make or influence and start making a positive impact right away. And then any ideas that you want to share up with leaders, focus on making it as simple, as approachable as possible so they can buy into it sooner. And then for those who are at whose positions are actually leaders in the organization who on paper are having the greatest level of influence, one, it's looking at how DEI helps them do their job best. I think we all are really focused on how what can help us do our job best or what can help us stay out of trouble. So it's important to, to figure out how DEI does that for you as a leader to get your own personal buy-in. We often are, are asking people how DEI really helps them to feel safe and succeed at a higher level in their organization. A question that many of them have not been asked or answered, we're not here to just talk about policies. We're literally trying to bring the personal feel into this to say, how is it helping you, the listener, right now? How can it help you to move things forward in, in your own career? Because then you're more likely to take action, even if your whole organization isn't behind it yet. And then the more you figuring that out, the more you're able to Bring your team together. And uh, if you if you haven't done this already, I would encourage you to bring your team together and ask, what is our vision of DEI in our organization? What is the best case scenario? If we do all this, what can change for us for the better? And cast a vision that is a deep enough why that is more exciting than the time it's going to take, that is more profitable than the money it's going to cost. Cast a vision that lets your team know that not only do you take this seriously as a, as a social issue, but you take this seriously as an issue that you can 
you as a company, you as a firm can create the kind of culture that's a buffer for all the difficulties happening in the world that says no matter who you are, you can be safe in our organization. Like that is a bigger vision than most people are ever talking about with DEI. That's beyond regulations. That is something that is going to inspire more people to be a part of it. So that's where I'll tell you to start. And we and one of the things we will all offer here, I know you're going to mention it later, is our free DEI leadership assessment. And I will tell folks the reason that I'm saying this now and in response to this question is focus on how equitable your leadership practices are. People are waiting for their organizations to change policies and waiting for the, the legal things to change. How how equitable are you being right now as you connect with your teams? Because that's where you have, again, the greatest influence and the greatest ability to change even before things change in your organization is really thinking through how can you be a leader of DEI in your day-to-day connections with your staff and with your with your team. So thank you, Kemi. And I think the last year has really caused us all to, to think a lot more about this. We've been talking about the lack of diversity in our industry for many years. Something feels very different to me over the last 12 13 months. And I'm wondering, is it is it a movement or is it a moment? What do you think? Ooh, good question. Movement or a moment? I would say it's a movement with lots of moments. <laughs> <laughs> There's some people who are just honestly waking up and becoming a part of the movement. And I will say for everybody who had a huge opening moment, I did as well. I mean, the the murder of George Floyd showed me that I, even as a black male in this country, was not doing enough for racial justice. I was a lot of, in a lot of ways keeping my head down, just trying to stay out of trouble and really work on growing my career, growing my, my finances and, and growing my impact. And when I saw that atrocity, it taught me that I, I had to stop playing small or just kind of going from moment to moment in my own life. I had to really look at the bigger picture. And that is, that's the reason I do this work and the way that we do is because I realize I'm just, I'm a part of the problem as much as anybody else. And I want us to be able to know where we can make a difference and how to sustain that. So that way it's not moments anymore. There's going to be more tragedies and that's the saddest part for this whole work. However, I want between every tragedy, I want to know that I'm making a difference to move the the conversation forward to help more people live safely and thrive. And that's the that's the only way I know how to keep the movement going. Well, we thank you for all that you do, and we thank you so much for coming on the Flexible Advisor today to share your insights. And if you are an advisor and would like to know more about Kemi, please visit FEARS, F-E-A-R-S, Advantage uh, website at fearsadvantage.com. And be sure to ask for that free DE&I leadership assessment to better understand how equitable your leadership habits are. If you liked this podcast, you may also like our other FlexShares podcasts called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and David Partain, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. 
Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.